0: Everybody, what is going on? You know what time it is. You're listening to Join the Journey podcast with your host, Emma Daughter. Thanks for joining. We're about to start reading the book of 2 Kings, so I wanted to take a moment to go over some of the basics, to create a frame of reference, if you will, for us as we study this book. The key word for the book of 2 Kings is exile, because, as we'll see, at the end of the book, all of the Israelites' bad choices catch up to them, and the southern kingdom Judah is captured by the Babylonians, leaving God's people to be taken from their home and into exile as slaves to the Babylonians. The outline for the book of 2 Kings is as follows. In chapters 1-17, through we see the splintered kingdom and fall of Israel, and in chapters 18 through 25, we see the surviving kingdom and fall of Judah. That said, once again, we need to remember that the books of first and second kings were originally one book that explained how the kings who followed after David failed to live up to the promise of an even better king who would come. Every time a new king's introduced, we learn several things about him. Who did he worship? Yahweh alone or other gods? Did he do anything about idolatry within Israel? And was this king like David, or were they like Jeroboam or another perpetrator of evil? But in addition to the kings, we learn a lot about prophets. Prophets reminded God's people of who they were and how they were supposed to live. The two most famous prophets in the kings are Elijah and Elisha. When 2 Kings begins, we see the end of Elijah's life and the passing of spiritual power and authority from Elijah to Elisha. And Elisha's request for twice as much power is granted. Throughout both First and Second Kings, seven miracles are ascribed to Elijah, whereas 14 are ascribed to Elisha. Now, both Elijah, with a J, and Elisha, S-H, were prophets to the northern kingdom, Israel. And despite the incredible miracles they performed and the messages they shared, God's people in the north, in Israel, didn't turn back to him. They didn't turn back to God. When it comes to the northern kingdom, the kings truly just get worse and worse, which leads to the Assyrians conquering Israel the northern kingdom. The Assyrians were vicious military warriors who would skin their captives, torture them, and brutally execute. So it's at this point in the Old Testament where people commonly question God's character. What's going on with all these killings, these ferocious battles? How could God allow such evil things to take place, especially to his people? But the answer is very clearly stated in the middle of the book, 2 Kings 17, starting in verse 7. This disaster came upon the people of Israel because they worshipped other gods. They sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them safely out of Egypt and had rescued them from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. They had followed the practices of the pagan nations the Lord had driven from the land ahead of them as well as the practices the kings of Israel had introduced verse 9. The people of Israel had also secretly done many things that were not pleasing to the Lord their God. They built pagan shrines for themselves in all their towns, from the smallest outpost to the largest walled city. They set up sacred pillars and asherah poles at the top of every hill and under every green tree. They offered sacrifices on all the hilltops, just like the nations the Lord had driven from the land ahead of them. So, The people of Israel had done many evil things, arousing the Lord's anger. Yes, they worshipped idols, despite the Lord's specific and repeated warnings. Verse 13. Again and again, the Lord had sent his prophets and seers to warn both Israel and Judah, turn from all your evil ways, obey my commandments and decrees, the entire law that I commanded your ancestors to obey, and that I gave you through my servants, the prophets. But the Israelites would not listen. They were as stubborn as their ancestors who'd refused to believe in the Lord their God. Verse 15. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he made with their ancestors, and they despised all his warnings. They hated them. They worshipped worthless idols, so they became worthless themselves. They followed the example of the nations around them, disobeying the Lord's command not to imitate them. They rejected all the commands of the Lord their God and made two calves from metal, They set up an Asherah pole and worshipped Baal and all the forces of heaven. They even sacrificed their own sons and daughters in the fire. They consulted fortune tellers and practiced sorcery and sold themselves to evil, arousing the Lord's anger. And that's where verse 17 concludes. You see, The thing is, God gave his people chance after chance after chance after chance to turn back. But instead of turning back, their immorality grew and grew and grew, so much so that God's people were sacrificing, well, really murdering their own children. And that, along with all the other missteps, had to be stopped. The result of evil is never prosperity. And at the end of the day, God's heart is that his people would prosper. So when they keep heading toward destruction, the most loving thing God could do is to put an end to their antics. Enter the Assyrians. The northern kingdom only had bad kings. None of them were good. It led to trouble. But in the southern kingdom, there were a few good kings, namely Hezekiah, 2 Kings 18. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the pagan shrines, smashed the sacred pillars, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made because the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it. I mean, this is crazy. Uh, Hezekiah did a great job. Then there was Josiah. He discovered a lost scroll from the Torah and instituted all these religious reforms to help Judah flee idolatry and return to God's best. But nonetheless, the southern kingdom, Judah, had a lot of bad kings. And eventually, despite the standouts, the sinful influences caught up to them just as they had in the northern kingdom. In chapters 24 and 25, we see the Babylonians capture Jerusalem and ultimately defeat Judah. Discipline was upon them too. The difference, however, between the Assyrians and the Babylonians was that while the Assyrians were brutal and torturous, the Babylonians would take the best of the brightest back home with them. They'd employ them. They didn't wipe everybody out. They just took them from their home and into, you guessed it, exile. Now, this exile, this reality, it begs a lot of questions. What about God's promises to David? What about the king who'd sit on the throne forever? Honestly, what about God's promises to Abraham? God's people were taken from the home he'd promised them and surely weren't paying a blessing to everybody else. To these questions, 2 Kings leaves us with a very interesting answer. In the last four verses of the book, we're transported 37 years forward into the exile. It's almost as if the book of 2 Kings at its conclusion gives us a super, super fast fast forward in the story. We meet Jehoiakim, a relative of David who, if he hadn't been taken into exile, most definitely could have been a king of Judah. At the end of 2 Kings, Jehoiakim is invited by the king of Babylon to be released from prison and eat at the king's table for the rest of his life. And of course, Jehoiakim takes him up on that Cush deal. So as 2 Kings concludes, we're actually left with a glimmer of hope. Even in the exile, God was preserving the royal line of David through which the savior of the world would come. That's all we've got time for, but as always, I'm so glad we're all on this journey reading the Bible together.